From manger to cross. Now that seems to be the theme this morning uh, from the children and now the choir. I have a couple things to mention regarding prayer. Uh, we do want to pray and bring some of our folks before the Lord. Uh, please keep Pastor Tony in prayer. Uh, his grandfather had passed away yesterday morning and um, he knew the Lord. He was actually on the ordination council. Uh, some of you probably have met him. Um, but he was uh, up there in years and uh, certainly will be a man that will be missed. So keep Pastor Tony uh, in your prayers, as well as the other folks on our list this morning. Um, Dave Rode, um, still using a walker, uh, not able to be with us, but uh, keep him in prayer as he is on the road to recovery. Um, Tim Wilbert, good to see Tim. And Sandy Snyder uh, this morning, both of you who are recovering from uh, different surgeries. Um, keep also Jim Snyder in prayer. Um, he's going to have a lump removed from under his arm on Tuesday of this week. Uh, so please keep uh, Jim in your prayers. And then I had a nice note from the final stocks. Um, as you know, Hannah uh, had a little baby boy, Adam, not that long ago. And this is from the final stock family. Dearest church family, Thank you so much for making us feel so welcomed at home in this body of believers. We have only been attending here a short time, but with the birth of our son Adam, we have been over, so overwhelmed and blessed by all of the meals that have come to us. Thank you all. You have let, let, let Christ's love show through you all. We are truly blessed uh, to be able to call you our church family. And then they have a P.S., we cannot thank you enough. All the meals were delicious. Um, so the meal train is working. And um, it's just good to be able to um, share uh, meals with those who have needs. You know, I was talking to Matthew. He stopped in uh, this week. Uh, hey, Matthew, you're not here. He's not here, is he? I mean, I don't mind talking behind his back. That's fine. <laughs> I just, if he was here, I was going to acknowledge him, but he came in this week, and he actually did tell me that um, with his pregnancy, uh, one of the things that Hannah was very concerned about was meals. Uh, 
You know, what are we going to do for meals? What are you going to do? For, they're four, three little boys, right? What are we going to do for meals? And he actually said, I hope they don't listen to this on, you know, that thing you do, Tony. <laughs> but she was a bit stressed out. And then all of a sudden, you ladies, you know, step up to the plate and take meals. She was so appreciative. And so uh, they really thank you for, for helping them out uh, in that way. Father, we are thankful. It is a special time of the year when the air is filled with joy and gladness. Father, it is a special time when we come to this point in December and we begin to think about the birth of Jesus Christ. And yet, Lord, we've been reminded clearly this morning that, that was just the beginning. Lord, the cross was awfully important as well. Because, Father, through the cross and through the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ, Father, we have eternal life. So we thank you, Lord, for bringing us here once again, for bringing us to this point in the year in which we, we focus maybe a little bit harder. Uh, we think a little bit more about Jesus and all that he means to us. We are thankful, Lord, for children who were able to minister to us through a simple skit. But, Father, it said so much that it's all about the cross and the choir as well. Lord, to sing about the manger, but to include the cross. Lord, we in this church, we believe that because of the cross, Lord, we can have life, life eternal. We're thankful today, Lord, that we're able to bring before you folks that need our prayers. We thank you, Lord, for the surgeries that some have been through and for the success. We thank you so much and pray that, Lord, you would continue to help Dave and Tim and Sandy on their road to recovery. Father, we pray for uh, the Muren family. Uh, we lift them before you, asking that your peace which passes all understanding, might flood their hearts and souls. Uh, Father, we thank you that this dear man was a godly man, a man, Lord, who knew you. And Father, so even though we grieve, Lord, it's not as those who have no hope. But I pray that you would watch over Tony and Sarah Lord, as they travel today. I pray that you would watch over um, his mother and, uh, and his uh, father, uh, watch over those, Lord, who will be making plans this week for funeral. Uh, we do commit all of this to you and pray that you might be honored and glorified in, in all things. Father, we think of the final stock family as well. Father, we thank you that you have brought into this world this little boy, Adam. And we're thankful, Lord, for the ladies that have helped ease a burden of Hannah's by providing meals that she wouldn't have to worry about these things. And so, Father, we're thankful this morning that you are a great and, and mighty God. Father, I thank you, too, for this day. It's a special day in which you have made, and, Father, we will rejoice and we'll be glad in it. And we pray that you would use this day to bring glory to yourself, and we're thankful that you brought us together. Lord, we are your people. We are your people. And I, my prayer, Lord, is this Christmas season, as we've been working through this new series, 
in Christmas B.C. That, Father, if there are those or one who has never trusted Jesus into their life to be saved, that, Father, through this series, through the Word of God, that, Father, that you might bring them to the point of their need for salvation and call upon the Lord to be saved. We thank you again, Lord, for our special time today. You are great and a mighty God, and we thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Leonard's going to come and lead us in a couple of uh, Christmas carols. The first one is found on page 113. Angels, we have heard on high. Angels we have heard on high Sweetly singing o'er the plain And the mountains in reply Echo back their joyous train Gloria in
to invite you to take your hymn book and turn with me to hymn number 104. I'll ask you to stand with me as we sing this hymn. <coughs> then those in junior church can be dismissed. Hymn number 104. It came upon a midnight I believe I failed to mention a first-time visitor, but did she just leave? <laughs> oh, Dan and Abby had a little girl, Lily, 
and uh, my wife reminded me that she was here this morning, so um, she went back in the nursery, I suppose. And um, Matthew, I just talked about you this morning. I don't know if you heard me. Were you outstanding on the other side? You were. <laughs> I, we saw him walk in during that last song as well. I read your note, and uh, I said how much you uh, appreciate the meals of the ladies. So it's good to have you with us. You're alone? Okay. <laughs> All right. Not time for little Adam to show up for church yet. Uh, so good to have you all here this morning. Uh, there's, a, there's a word that I uh, learned just this week. I don't know if you've ever heard of this word. The word is aptronym. Anybody hear of that? Aptronym. Anybody know what it means? Well, let me tell you. This is what it means. It's when someone's name and occupation, they line up perfectly. It's almost amusingly appropriate, their name for what they do. So let me give you a couple of examples. I'm not going to read these. You can read for yourself. The second one is this, the name appropriate to the occupation, right? Not so fast. That's, leave that one up a little while. It takes a little while for that one to sink in. All right, keep going. That's just not right. That's just not right. You know, in the Bible, and we're listening to the sounds of Christmas in the Old Testament, but in the Bible, back in the Old Testament, a person's name stood for something. You know, today we choose names because we like the name or we associate it maybe with someone that we, we, we a family member or, you know, today... Names we choose differently than the way they chose them in the Old Testament. Back in the Old Testament days, they chose a person's name because of an occupation or a reputation or fame or glory. Sometimes what parents would do is give their children names that would describe their own hopes and expectations regarding that child. So, for example, we look in the Bible and we see names such as Abraham his name was changed from Abram to Abraham, the father of a multitude, or the father of many, na of, of, of a nation, many nations. What about Jacob? Jacob means deceiver. And we know that uh, he deceived his twin brother Esau and stole his birthright. Moses means to draw out. Remember when the little boy was in the bulrushes in that basket? And he was taken from there. He was drawn out of the water. And Jesus, of course, means Jehovah saves. You will name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Someone said there are 100 names in the Bible that are associated with Jesus. 100 names. Well, today, we want to look at four of them. 
Today we want to look at four names. The title of the sermon is The Mighty God. And the text we want to look at is back in Isaiah chapter 6. Listen carefully. We've already listened to the Old Testament. And we've heard the sounds of Christmas. We saw that Jesus was said to be the Savior in the book of Genesis. Last week in the book of Micah, we looked at Micah. And Micah said that Jesus was to be the ruler or the new king of Israel. Today, Jesus is not just said to be the mighty God in Isaiah 9, but there's three other names we're going to look at. So let's listen carefully to what the book of Isaiah has to say. By the way, Isaiah was a contemporary of Micah. Micah was that little minor prophet, only seven chapters long. Minor because of the length of his book. Isaiah has 66 chapters. It's a pretty long book. Isaiah is a major prophet because of the length of his book. And what Isaiah does is a bit similar to Micah because they are contemporaries. He speaks about the doom of Israel. Israel at this time is divided. Northern kingdom, southern kingdom. The Assyrians are threatening the northern kingdom. The Babylonians will threaten the southern kingdom of Judah. And so Isaiah, as Micah, he speaks of doom and gloom. But he also speaks of deliverance and the promises that God makes to the nation. Isaiah is going to give us some glorious promises. Now remember, as with Micah, Isaiah is written... 700 years B.C., before the manger, 700 years before the manger. The context of Isaiah chapter 9, well, let's look. Look at Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 1, and notice what we read. Nevertheless, Isaiah says, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past... He humbled the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. Zebulon and Naphtali were two of the tribes of Israel. They were two tribes that were located in the far north of Israel. Right on the line and the border of the enemy. Now, when I was in Israel a number of years ago, I I can remember our tour guide took us to the very northern point in Israel. To be honest, I'm not sure what tribe would have been located where we were, but I remember all there was between Israel and Lebanon was a wire fence that you would have in your backyard to keep your dog in the yard. That's all that stood between Israel and Lebanon. And we looked down into the valley, and we saw all of these homes in Lebanon, and none of them had windows. And our guide said the reason they don't have windows 
is because in each of those rooms inside those windows are guns aimed at us right now. That at any moment, Lebanon could start firing. Now, these two tribes were right on the edge, right on the border, and the enemy was right on the other side. These two tribes were always in harm's way. Zebulon and Naphtali were these two tribes that for many, many years, all they knew was doom and gloom. When the enemy attacked Israel, they were always first. But Isaiah says in verse 1 that there, a day is coming then when there will be no more gloom for these two tribes. But, he says, in the future, in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations. These two tribes who are always in harm's way, they're going to be honored. And we'll say in a moment what that means. Let me say this first, however. When Isaiah speaks, he's speaking prophecy, predictions. Sometimes it's a prediction and a prophecy that goes well beyond what is taking place right here in the present. Oh, he's speaking and addressing that issue. That at some point, the Assyrians, they will overtake the northern kingdom. But they will be delivered. So he speaks and addresses the present. But he also speaks to something far. Remember, this is written 700 years B.C. And yet, what he's going to speak about is the coming Messiah who will come 700 years after this prophecy is made. So there's the near but there's also the far. There's the present, but there's also the future. So he says in verse 2, notice what it says. It says, the people walking in darkness, they have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness. A light has dawned. So the day is coming when these two tribes, who are always in harm's way, they will see the light. A better day is coming for them. Now you say, well, that's you know, right after the Assyrian captivity. Yes, that's the near fulfillment. But if you have your Bibles, I would invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 4. Look, look at Matthew chapter 4. We come now to the ministry of Jesus. Jesus now is on the scene and he's preaching. <coughs> Notice what it says in Matthew 4 and verse 12. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. This is where Jesus spent most of his time. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulon and Naphtali. Why did Jesus spend so much time in this location? Verse 14, in order to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulon and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, 
the people living in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death. The light has dawned. And from that time on, Jesus began to preach. Isaiah says this. The far prophecy of Isaiah is that because these two tribes were always at harm's way, God is going to honor them. And Jesus is going to begin preaching in their location. Here in Galilee, by the sea, by the Jordan River, Jesus begins his ministry of repentance. And so, here in the north, here where the Assyrians brought darkness and death to the tribes of Zebulon and Naphtali, Jesus is going to bring light. And these two tribes will be the first to rejoice. And that's what we find in verse 3 back in Isaiah chapter 9. You have enlarged the nation. You've increased their joy. They rejoice because you as people rejoice at the harvest. As warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. Now those verses probably aren't very familiar to you. But as we move down through this chapter. And we begin to read for under us a child is born. Verse 6. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called. Who? The Messiah. The Messiah will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. These verses that I just read are more familiar. These are verses that are the lyrics in part of Handel's Messiah. Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. The question is often raised... Uh, which coming of Jesus is this referring to? Because we do have verses like verse 6 where it says, For to us a child is born. Clearly seems to be the first coming. But then we read verses like, He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom forever. Sounds a lot like the second coming of Jesus to set up his millennial kingdom. I'll let you decide. Because, you know, commentators disagree. But I think one thing we can agree on is this. Is that these names, the four names that we find here in verse 6, are names that refer to Jesus. Jesus is a wonderful counselor. He is the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. A child is born... Back in Luke chapter 2, we, we, we read, let me read the verses. In Luke chapter 2 and verse 10, just listen. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. Uh, he, he's speaking now to the shepherds out in the field. Don't be afraid. I, I bring you good news 
that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Speaks of his humanity. For unto us a child is born. God became flesh and dwelt among us. And to us a son is given. I like what Rav Zacharias says. He says, the son wasn't born. The son eternally existed. We spoke of that last time, if you recall. That Jesus, although he had a birthday, there was a point in time when the second person of the Trinity took upon flesh. Jesus had a birthday. But that doesn't mean that he was not eternal. It doesn't mean that he came into existence on that day. For the Bible is quite clear that Jesus Christ is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending. And we're going to see in a moment, he's referred to as the everlasting Father. For unto us a child is born, humanity. Unto us a son is given, deity. A child is born and God gave us his son. For God, he so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So let's look at these four names. This is where we want to focus our time. That was all kind of context and background information. Notice the names that are given to Jesus. The first one is a wonderful counselor. A wonderful counselor. The counsel of the Messiah should cause awe and wonder. You know, we use wonderful in a lot of different ways. You know, that was a wonderful meal, and that's fine. We use awesome in many different ways. Uh, you know, you watch a football game, and you say, that was an awesome catch today. Did you see that? And that's perfectly fine. But when we speak of God being wonderful, and when we speak of God being awesome, it goes beyond a good catch. It goes beyond a good tasting meal. The sense of wonderful is the sense of exceptional, astonishing, extraordinary, supernatural. Things like the Red Sea should cause wonder. Can you imagine being with Moses that day? And watching that Red Sea divide and stand up on end, that's an awe-inspiring event. Or imagine Jesus healing the blind, causing the lame to walk again, to bring someone back to life, to be there, to see that take place should cause great wonder. A wonderful counselor is a counselor, an advisor, and consultant who gives guidance and direction 
and should stir in us a sense of awe and a sense of wonder. In Isaiah chapter 28, in verse 29, I want you to see what Isaiah says just a little bit later on. 28, 29 says this. All this also comes from the Lord Almighty, whose plan is wonderful, whose wisdom is magnificent. You see, Jesus is said to be our counselor. You know, there's no better place to go when you need guidance or you need direction or you're at a crossroad and you just need someone to help you make that decision on what to do, where to go. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus is said to be our counselor, not just any kind of counselor, but a counselor who, when gives us direct direction, should cause us to stand in awe and wonder, to think that Jesus knows more about us than we even know about ourselves, and to think that Jesus always gives us the right course of action. He always directs us in what we should do and not do. We should always come before God through Jesus and ask for advice. What should I do in this situation? Lord, I'm not sure where to turn. What decision to make? Do I buy this new home? Do I take this new job? God, what do I do? And Jesus is said to be our counselor that causes in us awe and wonder. You probably have experienced that. You know, you're not sure what to do, and all of a sudden you hear that small voice from God saying, this is the direction you need to go. And it's almost like, wow, God, thank you. See, that's who Jesus is said to be, a wonderful counselor. And so if you need advice and you need guidance and you need direction, Jesus says, come to me, ask that of me, and I'm more than willing and happy to give you and steer you in the right direction. Jesus is the wonderful counselor. And then it says he's also the mighty God. El Gabor. Elohim, God. Gabor, meaning mighty or almighty. Strong, powerful. Remember the angel when uh, Mary was asking that question back in Luke chapter 1 and verse 37. And um, Mary found herself as a young teenager, uh, pregnant with child, and she isn't exactly sure what has just taken place. The Bible says clearly, and we'll look at this more next week when we speak of the virgin birth, but Mary knew not a man, and yet she finds herself with child, and she needs answers. She's disturbed, and the angel comes and begins to explain to Mary what has just taken place, that it was of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit overshadowed you. And Mary says back to the angel, but 
How can these things be? And then the angel says to Mary, and I quote these words in Luke 1.37, For with God, nothing is impossible. El Gabor, the mighty God. You know, several in this church, they sing that wonderful song that we often hear at Christmas. Mary, did you know? You probably listened pretty closely to those words, but I want to read some of the lyrics for you. Mary, did you know that your baby boy will one day walk on water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy will save our sons and daughters? Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? And this child that you've delivered will soon deliver you. Mary, did you know that your baby boy will give sight to a blind man? Mary, did you know that your baby boy will calm a storm with his hand? Did you know that your baby boy has walked where angels trod? And when you kiss your little baby, you have kissed the face of God. The blind will see. The deaf will hear, and the dead will live again. The lame will leap, the dumb will speak, the praises of the Lamb. Mary, did you know that your baby boy is Lord of all creation? Did you know that your baby boy will one day rule the nations? Did you know that your baby boy is heaven's perfect Lamb? The sleeping child you're holding is the great I am. The mighty God, El Gabor. Jesus says, come to me. I am the wonderful counselor. I can give you the direction that you need, the guidance that you long for. But I'm also the mighty God the powerful God, the strong God who can help you because with me, nothing is impossible. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 3, Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Why should we come to Jesus? Because he's our counselor. And we come to him because he's the all-powerful God. But there's another name that is referred to here, and it's Everlasting Father. And that sometimes we, we say to ourselves, wait a minute, Isaiah, you're, you're confusing here something. You're, you're confusing Messiah with the first person of the Trinity. How can Jesus, the Son, be called Father? Isaiah, are you confusing the first person of the Trinity with Messiah? Well, that's not exactly what Isaiah is teaching here. Uh, he's not teaching us that God the Son is God the Father. Uh, again, we spoke last week of the Trinity and we tried to make the distinction. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God. 
there's that distinction, and the word was God, there is an equality. We believe in three persons. We believe in one God. Each of the roles are different. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So Isaiah is not teaching what it might appear, but what Isaiah is doing here by calling the Messiah the everlasting Father is saying that this Messiah, Jesus, will be father-like or fatherly. And I believe what it speaks of is his great love, his compassion, his protection as he provides for his children, that Jesus is fatherly, that he looks down upon us as his children. And in that sense, he's called an everlasting father. I've always liked the verse in, in the book of Hebrews where the author says that we have a high priest. We have a high priest who is able to sympathize with us in our weakness. That high priest, of course, is Christ. That we have someone and his name is Jesus, who knows what we're going through. And he's able to sympathize with us because he has been, been tempted in all ways such as we. But there's more to the name Father. He's an everlasting Father. There's the idea of eternality. That Jesus has no beginning and he has no ending. That we are and always will be loved by Jesus throughout all eternity. And then we come to the final name. It says that he is the Prince of Peace. Back in Luke chapter 2, in verse 8, let me read just the brief account of the shepherds out in the field. In Luke chapter 2 and verse 8, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Verse 14 says that this child will bring peace to the earth. In the days of Jesus, there wasn't much warfare as there was in the Old Testament. There weren't a lot of enemies and fighting going on. There was what was called Pax Romana, Roman peace. The Romans did one good thing, and that was bring peace to the area. 
But here the peace that's being spoken of is a much deeper peace. What the angel is proclaiming is not an external tranquility, freedom from warfare. What is being spoken of here is that there is a peace of mind and soul that is brought about through this child that Jesus himself will bring to mankind the peace that we must have with God. We read in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 5, that we can have a peace with God through faith in Jesus. You see, the Bible says that we're not all at peace with God. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that we are hostile toward God. We see that in the world today. We see haters of Almighty God, those who curse God, shake their fists at Him. The Bible says in Isaiah that we have all gone astray, that no one has turned His way. We've turned our own way. The Bible says no one is good. No, not one. There's no one who understands. The Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're not what God intends for us to be. God created Adam and Eve, the two perfect human beings, and placed them in a perfect environment and gave them freedom to do what they wanted to do except one thing. And they chose to disobey God. And they ate of that forbidden tree. And since that time, all mankind, the Bible says, all of mankind, we've all sinned. We come into this world with a sinful nature. Not only do we have a sinful nature, but we practice sin as well. And because of that, we've fallen short of God's glory. We've fallen short of what God intends for us to be. And we're not at peace with God. We're just not at peace. We're hostile. We're an enemy with God. But the angel says to the shepherds, this one born in a manger is going to bring peace. A lasting peace. A peace that all mankind needs. It's that relationship with God that is only possible through Jesus the Messiah. A relationship with Almighty God is only possible through Jesus Christ. For the Bible says that when Jesus came, yes, he was born in a manger, but that was just the beginning. At the end of his life, the Bible says he went to a cross. And there on that cross, he died. Not for his own sins. The Bible says, for he knew no sin. But the sin of the world was placed upon him. The greatest need of all mankind is to be forgiven of their sins. And that's what Jesus provided on the cross. A way to have their sins forgiven. A way to have peace with God. A way to be brought into God's heavenly family. I trust and hope that you have experienced that peace. The Bible says, call upon the name of the Lord 
and you will be saved. You acknowledge the fact that you've sinned against God and you trust Jesus Christ to save you from those sins. And the Bible says when you call upon the name of the Lord, you're brought into that wonderful relationship with God the Father. If you'd like to talk further about salvation or something I've said this morning, uh, I have a couple of tracks. I, I chose a couple good tracks. They're out in the foyer on the foyer table. Little booklets that might help uh, you in your um, quest uh, for salvation. Or talk to me afterwards. Or call me this week. I would be happy. You know, this time of the year, this Christmas season, be able to show you how you can come into God's family. It's very simple. It's simply coming before God. And acknowledging your sin. It's coming before God and trusting Jesus Christ as Savior and Messiah. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for this special time. You are great. You're a mighty God. Father, we've just spoken of you being that mighty God. And Father, my prayer this morning is that those who know you, might find you to be their great counselor, their advisor, Father, that we might draw to you when we, when we need help as the great, strong, and powerful God. And Father, for those this morning who are not sure about their relationship with you, that today might be that day when your spirit, Father, and it's your spirit who draws, that your spirit might draw that person to you. Oh, Father, we are thankful this morning that you are a great and mighty God. And you have brought to the world through Jesus a peace that the world cannot give. A peace with God, Lord, that comes through Jesus alone. For Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you, Father, for the salvation which you provide. And again, Father, may your spirit continue to do the good work that he's begun already today. And we'll thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Take your hymn books, if you would, please, and turn with me to hymn number 119. While shepherds watch their flocks by night, all seated on the ground. 119. Let's stand together. And we'll sing this and we'll be dismissed. While shepherds watch their flocks by night, all seated on the ground, the angel of the came down. joy I bring to you and all mankind, <coughs> and all mankind, to you.
shall be the sign, and this shall be the sign. The heavenly babe you there shall find. Wrapped in swaddling bands and in a manger lane, in a manger lane. All glory be God on high, the earth be peace, good will henceforth from have to men begin Father we thank you for your love the love that brought this child into this world your love Lord that gave us your son and Father we pray that you might use us this Christmas season, to share your love with others. For, Father, the Bible says that people know us by our love. So may we be a great and wonderful and loving people and share with others what you have given to us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.